G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. This year there are some especially critical issues that all Christians will see as important. Not least of these is the divide in Australian churches, mainly around issues of human sexuality. New conversion therapy laws in Victoria have some church leaders promising civil disobedience, not backing down on prayer for people with unwanted same-sex attraction, and it is likely to be a very divisive issue. Other churches and even entire denominations, it might appear, are almost at breaking point and risk fracturing over marriage and ordination standards. So what's the problem here? Our special guest today is about to address Christian leaders at the upcoming Church and State Summit on the topic, Help! My Church is Embracing Heresy. David Old is with the Anglican Church in Sydney. He writes boldly on his thoughts about life and Jesus, and in particular how those things are worked out in the Anglican Church, into which he was ordained back in 2008. He says there is a battle for the soul of the Anglican Church in Australia. He has his own predictions too for what it what might happen in the Anglican Church this year, venturing to suggest it may even fracture. When it all boils down, there are many who take the call to teach the Bible seriously, and there are others who don't. There are those who will uphold the orthodox biblical view on human sexuality, and there are those who won't. Well, David Old, he's Senior Associate Minister at St. John's Anglican Th- Cathedral in Parramatta. He unapologetically defends biblical Christianity. He's one of the speakers at the upcoming Church and State Summit coming up next week, in fact, the 26th and 27th of February in Brisbane. David Old, a special welcome along to 2020. Thanks, Neil. Great to be with you. David, uh, let's talk about the topic that you're going to address. And uh, it's a it's a great topic, a big topic. It's going to be an engaging topic. Help my churches embracing heresy. Uh, you find yourself engaging in some of these sorts of battles on a daily basis. Well, not quite daily, but yes, quite regularly. And uh, the Anglican Church of Australia is at that position uh, now in its history where it is really... Uh, coming to a head, our discussions, our debates, uh, dare we even say it, our fights um, over these issues. We've been grumbling along on the issue of human sexuality uh, for a number of years, uh, but we're, we're coming to a general synod, which is our national church parliament uh, this, this year, uh, where probably we're going to be drawing a very clear line on the matter, and we're all still uh, intrigued as to see which way it will go. I imagine there's a context for the Australian church uh, in amongst Mm -hmm. the worldwide body of uh, Anglicans, Episcopalians. There's all sorts of uh, challenges going on around the world. How do we sit in Australia, and you're talking from the position of the Anglican church, how do you sit in Australia compared to the rest of the world on these issues? 
Sure. Well, compared to uh, a lot of the Western church, so uh, those churches coming uh, uh, following sort of the culture of England, so you're looking at uh, England, Scotland, Wales, uh, the in America, Canada, New Zealand, places like that. Compared to that, we're a little bit behind in uh, the way that it's been embraced by the whole church at more formal levels. That's really, uh, I think, a, um, a symptom of two things. It's a little bit of Australian isolationism, but also it's, it's due to the way uh, that um, our, our structure uh, works. So constitutionally, we're not able to uh, step into these things as quickly, and the Australian bishops who run our diocese have always been reluctant to kind of forge on ahead. Uh, but um, it's caught up with us. The debates, uh, which haven't been happening formally, have obviously been happening informally, and people have been sort of doing their own thing. And now we're, we're having to make the same choices that other provinces before us um, have made quite a few years ago, maybe three or four years ago, the Scottish Episcopal Church, for example, said it's okay for two people of the same gender to be married. Uh, New Zealand went there uh, in the last couple of years and so on. America's been there for a long, long time and Canada. So we're, 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 we're if you like, we're catching up with the debate or, or more likely it's worked its way out here just a little bit more slowly. So isolationism works a little in our favour, just like all of these other issues, even with vaccinations around the world, where uh, we're yeah. watching what's happening in other nations and hopefully yes. able to draw some wisdom from that debate so that when we're making oh, our decisions here, those can be good decisions. You know, the Anglican Church is not the only church where there is division here. Uh, there's lots of denominations and, uh, you know, I think as uh, I've had on this program at different times before, uh, the idea that there is what some call white anting happening in virtually every Christian denomination. doesn't matter whether you're Anglican or Catholic or uh, Uniting Church, Baptist, uh, there's, there's white anting happening everywhere. Is this the impression you get as well? Yeah, absolutely, uh, certainly. So uh, you mentioned the Uniting of the Baptist Churches, and they would be good examples. The, the Uniting Church, of course, are well down the road on this one um, and has taken a very strong position. The Baptist Church finds itself very divided. Uh, and I think my impression, I don't know the Baptist too well, but my impression of those that I talk to is a lot more unwillingness to, to see that final conversation happen, as though they kind of know where it will go. Uh, so yes, it's happening in a number of denominations all 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 over the place. And actually, I think what's to be what, what we ought not to miss is it'll be happening in some other denominations where people will be thinking the line is held stronger. So I wouldn't be uh, have any doubt that in the Australian Christian churches, uh, that more Pentecostal movement, there'll be those who are asking these questions. Uh, and just because the conversations aren't happening uh, on a formal level doesn't mean that they're not being asked. As you say, there may not be public uh, image mm -hmm. of there being division, but these sorts of mm -hmm. debates are happening internally. Uh, let's yeah. come down what I think is the crux of the issue here, and I know you've written extensively about this, about what the real issue is when it comes to the church, and that is sure. the authority of Jesus in the church today through the scriptures. Uh, there's, there's obviously, you know, it comes down to some ways that people interpret the scriptures, but the authority of Jesus in the church today. What are your thoughts here, David? Yeah, I think that's absolutely uh, the right way to 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 describe it. It's it's and, and very well done, Neil, because we attempted just to say it's about the authority of Scripture, but actually we need to be very clear that Scripture is the way that Jesus rules His Church. So it is all his word, uh, not just the bits that are in, in red letters in some uh, translations. It's, it's all his word, and it's how he rules his church. And so it does come down to 
whether ultimately we trust Jesus and trust his word in the scriptures. And most of these debates, and as you'll imagine, Neil, I've, I've been following them for many, many years, and I kind of, you kind of learn the scripts very, very quickly. Uh, most of these debates actually come down to one of two things, uh, either arguments about what the scripture actually says, or then a willingness to submit ourselves to what it, to what it does say. So it's usually one of those two things. And quite frankly, um, the first debate is, is really rather over. In the academic field, we're all in no doubt as to what um, the Bible has to say about human sexuality. The real question is whether we'll accept it. Uh, some people will reject the authority of the Bible outright. Others will use uh, interesting hermeneutics, ways of reading the Bible to kind of avoid uh, the obvious things uh, that are there. I think it was Soren Kierkegaard who a long time ago said uh, the difficulty with the Bible is not really understanding it. It's whether I'm going to let it uh, rule me. Now, when we talk about the Bible, uh, we talk about mm-hmm. Jesus, what he said around issues yeah. of sexuality and uh, oftentimes uh, on that issue of marriage. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, I think, on the same page as you when I say that the Bible is profoundly authoritative on these issues. Uh, but yeah. as you say, uh, if pe- people don't have the same level of uh, or the dimension of uh, a desire to be obedient to those words, uh, then there's all sorts of pushback on that. But let's talk about how authoritative the scriptures might be when it comes to these issues of sexuality. Sure. So um, typically when you're having these debates, Neil, someone will say, well, Jesus never spoke directly on um, on homosexuality is what they'll say, or, and more uh, tightly, we should probably actually say on homosexual behavior. But that is to miss the way that so much truth is communicated in the scriptures. So we're not just looking for the um, what some people call the clobber verses, the, the thou shalt not, the do not do this verses. We're actually looking for the positive uh, pictures that scripture builds up uh, on, on various topics. And on marriage and human sexuality, there was an immensely uh, positive and clear message. When Jesus is confronted by the Pharisees in, on the topic of marriage, they actually want to uh, pin him down on divorce. You can read the um, encounter in Matthew 19 and Mark 10. He answers them by saying, have you not read? And then he quotes directly from Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. So that famous verse, Genesis 1, 27, have you not read that from the beginning God made them male and female? And then he jumps to Genesis 2. And this is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife. and The two become one flesh. So Jesus himself draws a very clear uh, um, line from the fact that we are made male and female to that is what marriage is. Now, what's really interesting is when you go back to the Genesis um, account of creation, however you're reading it, and there's a debate there, obviously, about whether it's, it's stone-cold literal or there's some uh, uh, poetic structure there, but whatever way you read it, what's really, really clear is that the whole creation narrative is made up of a bunch of binaries, so light and darkness, uh, water and air, uh, um, and then those binaries are populated and, and so on. And then the final binary that you get, the final sort of uh, dual balance, is that man is created male and female. It's actually the seventh uh, pair that you get in uh, the Genesis narrative. And if anybody knows their, their um, Bible reasoning well, seventh is like the pinnacle, it's the completion of things. So there's something intrinsic about our maleness and femaleness together in humanity. There's something intrinsic uh, about that that actually belongs at the heart of creation. And Jesus points very, very solidly there. 
Uh, and then, of course, the other thing we want to be uh, making note of is that constantly throughout the Bible, and not least from the lips of Jesus himself, uh, one of the main images that we're given to help us understand the relationship between God and God in Jesus and his people is the image of a groom and a bride, husband and wife. Uh, so Jesus will speak about himself as the returning bridegroom. Uh, the Apostle Paul, of course, uh, makes that clear uh, uh, mirroring in Ephesians 5. Uh, even the book of Revelation uh, has us as, as the great bride uh, waiting for our husband and the great bridal feast at the end and, 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 and so on. So there are these very strong, clear uh, images, not just of what it is, but what, what the implications are. And I've got to say, um, anybody that wants to argue against what we call an orthodox uh, um, human sexuality and an ethic that goes with it has has got to grapple with the strength of that of that presentation, and that Neil is before we even get to any of the prohibitions that are listed. And when we think about the numbers of different dimensions of human sexuality that are promoted, I mean, people talk about mm-hmm. 50 plus on Facebook and, uh, and sure. other times people have said there's, oh, there's 250 different genders. Uh, so yeah. certainly having the contrast of a biblical truth that is presented affirmatively between male and female actually cuts through. What are your thoughts here for the idea that this is actually a strength and not a weakness, that uh, the issue of homosexuality is not directly addressed in those sorts of scriptures? Sure. So, yeah, so it gives us it gives us the basic framework to understand how things ought to be. So what we've got to make sure is that we have a very clear doctrine of creation and then also of sin. So we understand uh, from the scriptures that the world was made in a certain way, and it was very good. And you can take that position again, whether you're holding to a literal six-day creation or something just a little bit looser. Either way, you have these very, very clear affirmations that the way that God originally intended things is very good. But we've also got to be really clear that we live in a fallen world. So, you know, we have the uh, the, the narrative of Genesis 3, or you might look at uh, Paul in Romans 8, where he speaks about this, this corruption that spread across uh, the whole the, the whole universe. I, I tend to think of it. One of the beautiful images that I love for that Neil is is that famous um, those famous cartoons, those Ice Age cartoons, and there's one where they have a little squirrel who's running around chasing after the nut. And in one of the cartoons, he he drops the nut from a great height, and uh, and as it hits the ice, these these cracks go everywhere, all around the world, and all of a sudden the continents are all spreading apart. Uh, and um, I always use that image regularly because it's kind of it kind of depicts the way that sin even just the start of it has just spread its way all around the world. And so we've got this, we've got this notion that the, the, the creation is not what it should be. And so we, we thoroughly expect people to behave in different ways. We also expect uh, in the areas of gender and so on for people to have messed up understandings and to be hurt and to be confused and so on. And so that's really important for us, Neil, because I think what it does is it helps us understand where these differences come from, but also, hopefully, it gives us a, um, a right compassion for those who find themselves in this area of their life outside of what the very good creation should be. David, let me ask you the tough one here, because sure. uh, as listeners can hear, you've got a wonderful way of articulating that biblical truth, and so many will be on side and they'll understand that. Others will say, mm-hmm. oh, I've been hearing different things. Uh, yeah. When we use a word like heresy, uh, yeah. Is it, in fact, a heresy to get this wrong on human sexuality? What are your thoughts here? 
Well, I think we've got to be really careful with the word heresy. So heresy is a very, a very distinctive word. It, um, it, its original derivation is from a Greek word, hieresis, which just means a choice, but has become to mean in its original usage a sect or a party or something like that. So, uh, um, for example, Luke in Acts will refer to the, the sect, the hieresis of the Sadducees or the Pharisees and so on. But in church usage, it's come to um, denote those who have taken a position that is, it's not simply being not orthodox. It's a divisive teaching or practice which forces those who call themselves Christians to, to separate themselves from it. So look, I would say if someone, if someone is confused about this matter, um, just trying to work it out, that's not heresy. But the problem we've got now, and we're getting close to it, is when we have churches uh, and leaders who say, no, they want to bless what God in his scriptures has said actually uh, leads people to damnation. So unrepentant sin that will lead people to damnation. So I think we're getting close to it on this topic only because the church can never bless what God says actually is the opposite, is, is, a, is a damaging and harmful uh, behavior. So, th- so we're close to it. It's not, I don't think, in the great category of the great early church heresies, which are all around mainly the doctrine of the Trinity and, you know, is Jesus divine and all those kinds of things. But um, it is a very, very damaging uh, uh, teaching because it encourages people to do the very thing which God in the scriptures says is very, very dangerous for them. Helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Well, David Old is our guest, Senior Associate Minister at St. John's Anglican Cathedral in Parramatta in Sydney, and an unapologetic defence of biblical Christianity today. In other words, in some sense here, coming around the words of Jesus on issues of sexuality, which at this present time are causing all sorts of division, uh, even fracture in church communities around the world. And as David has said, there is a sense in which we're a little bit isolated here in Australia and watching from a distance as to things that are happening overseas. Uh, David, I know there is a certain sense in which some will say, if what happens overseas comes here, that'll be very detrimental to our churches. Uh, what are your thoughts for how we might uh, see what's happening in other nations and, and perhaps uh, learn some, uh, some ways to, to respond here? Sure. So um, it already is here, obviously, because uh, in the lovely age of the internet, um, all the arguments are spread much more quickly uh, than before. The real lesson that uh, biblical faithful Christians need to learn from watching it happen overseas, and and here primarily is experienced from the Anglican Church globally, but I'm sure it it translates to other denominations. The real lesson is uh, our our opponents in this uh, will balk no compromise. For them, it um, it, it is a gospel matter. They, they view what they call inclusion and acceptance as, as the gospel. That's, that's their gospel. Jesus embraces us all um, as we are and loves us. Uh, and so that's their gospel. And so they are as single-minded about this um, as we are. And so don't be naive and think that you're going to be able to map out some middle ground and some compromise and that everybody will be happy. Uh, if Jesus' um, language of wolves is correct, and I think it has to be, right, then um, you don't 
send wolves away by feeding them little scraps of meat and thinking that that will that will satisfy them no no um i've got two dogs at home they're not wolves but if i give them a little scrap of meat then they 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 know there's more to come and they and they keep chasing me uh for it so uh the wolves are the same they will keep working and keep working and keep working so please don't be fooled don't be naive uh realize that you must draw the line draw it clearly and do it not because you love a fight but because uh people's souls are at stake and Jesus gave that warning, didn't he? He said, I'm sending mm-hmm. you out as sheep among wolves. And uh, right. this idea, this imagery of wolves in the sheep, uh, in the flock, is a significant one biblically. Hey, we're taking calls on 1-800-316-316. You might have your own thoughts on our issue today. Uh, let's take a call. David is on the line from Perth in WA. Hello, David. Welcome. Yes, good morning, Um Good morning to both of you. Um, just the scripture comes to mind where it says, you're neither hot nor cold, so I'll spit you out of my mouth. So it goes in very much in line with what you're speaking, that a decision has to be one way or the other. And the other thing is, is if you're a fly on the wall and you're thinking about coming to Christ, it's not a really good uh, issue to be um, thinking about because you think that the church is a sort of in a state of spiritual anarchy and um, there's no, not much unity there. Um, there's a lot of disunity. So it's like, why would you want to um, look at coming to a church when the place is in such disarray? Um, that's just as if you're a fly on the wall. So, um, you know, ex- exactly, I wouldn't would want to come if I was a fly, fly on the wall outside um, I probably just want to accept uh, my faith uh, quietly and not go to church. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, David, interesting thoughts in what you're sharing there. Let's get a thought from uh, David Old. Sure. Uh, thanks. Hi, David. Good morning. Thanks for thanks for calling in. Yeah, certainly on your on your first point, uh, that little quote from from Revelation. Yeah, there's, there's there's a need, isn't there, all the time for us, not just on this matter, but on everything that's important, not to not to be tepid, uh, to be really really clear uh, on things. Uh, how it affects people uh, wanting to be part of the church and, and what decisions they might make. Uh, look, I think it's really really tricky because in one sense, people want to know that the church is not afraid of issues and that it's it's got something clear and helpful to say on on current debates and of course there's no greater debate in our culture today uh than um than human sexuality uh, a writer from from western australia from near you david a guy called steve McAlpine, talks about our secular age a secular but a secular age absolutely obsessed with sex in one way or another so i think it's important that we've got something clear to say about it but um so i think the watchword for us is we've just got to make sure that that most of all we're talking about jesus and how good he is so, for example, when I'm uh, pulled into debates on this, one of the things I will say is, well, look, I- I'm with Jesus on this. Uh, here's what Jesus says. And I say, let me tell you why I think Jesus is worth uh, listening to. And then I want to be talking more widely about how great, how great Jesus is. So you're right, it can distract, but there's also a great opportunity to point to the Lord Jesus Christ um, as well. David from Perth, thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. 1-800-316-316. You might like to have your say. You can also respond to the question we're asking today on our Facebook post. The 2020 question is, what wisdom would you offer 
If your church leaders can't agree on Jesus' teaching around male-female marriage and human sexuality. David, let me come back to this idea, and uh, I think our caller, David, made some good points there, making reference to that letter to the Laodicean churches in the book of Revelation. This idea that there might be a, a lukewarmness. In other words, there's an internal conflict going on and yeah, there may yeah. be you know, this lukewarmness in the churches, whether it's actually an attraction or a repulsion to people outside. What are your thoughts here about whether you might stand firm on a, a, a Jesus foundation? Yeah, look, I think it, I think it works both ways. Um, so there's a danger, of course, that we always come across as strident and, and fixed into our positions on things that aren't the absolute core issue. On the other hand, there is something rather attractive, and I think this is particularly true in Australia, uh, where people speak uh, clearly, not necessarily rudely, but clearly. I used to minister on the Lower North Shore uh, in Sydney, and uh, I was there when Tony Abbott became uh, the leader of the Liberal Party. I wonder if your, your listeners will remember that moment. And I do remember uh, the press almost uniformly saying, well, that is the death of the Liberal Party, and it's all over, and Tony Abbott, with his forthright manner of speaking and the rest of it, he, he'll kill the Liberal Party. And they were up 15, 20 points in the polls within a couple of months. And as a, um, and as a leadership team at church, we stopped and we looked at this, and we went, what's going on here? And we said, actually, Australians like it when we speak clearly. They like people to speak clearly. They don't like people messing around. One of the things that first struck me when I arrived almost 20 years ago in Australia is the clarity with which people spoke and the abruptness. And so I think there's something interesting and attractive about people who know what they believe and articulate it clearly. Uh, But again, we've just got to make sure that's not an excuse for being rude, for being strident. Uh, and so on. But yes, we do need to be clear on this. And we need, but also just on a more basic level, we need not to be afraid. Uh, if Jesus's words are true, let's own them. Let's stand for him. Let's make him known and the goodness that he can speak about this very, very difficult topic. It's, a, it's like it or not, it is a topic that our entire culture is longing to hear something about. Uh, so let's tell them what good things Jesus has to say about it and say it clearly and say it boldly. And just accept that some people aren't going to like it. Jesus said that would happen. And is there a sense here this is just another incidence of the alignment of Christian truth with common sense, as you describe as, you know, not everybody who was against Tony Abbott actually was Mm -hmm. against Tony Abbott. Uh, Mm -hmm. And then the alignment, too, of biological science. All of these sorts of things are on the Christian side here. Yes, so so on the basic biology, um, uh, certainly... Uh, and again, we want to be very careful. There's two sort of mixed topics here, aren't there? There's the topic of uh, human sexuality and, 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 and homosexual attraction. Then there's that related topic of, of gender identity uh, and so on. So we just want to be careful what we're talking about. On the gender identity stuff, yeah, the science is firmly with us. Uh, we can clearly see how the great shift in teenagers in particular identifying as their opposite gender has come about, uh, not because any great biology has changed, but because there's been this massive cultural shift and it's now become exciting and new uh, t- to do it. Um, on the human sexuality stuff, yes, we do know, for example, that um, rates of mental illness amongst people who experience same-sex attraction is much, much higher than the general population. Uh, now, the question we've got then is, is why is that? Uh, some activists will claim it's simply because of the stigma of, um, of society. Uh, what they can't explain is why in cultures where there's much greater acceptance 
of um, of same sex attraction. Why those? Um, why there's no statistically significant difference in those mental health yep. uh, rates. So David, I need to going on there, I like need to cut in here because we're about to go to news. Yeah. David, let's take a call straight away. Bernie has been waiting patiently from Perth in WA. Bernie, welcome along. Hello. Hello, Bernie. What are your thoughts? Well. <clears throat> Like the Bible is the instruction book on how to uh, run a church and how to live. So uh, now when you talk to people, they uh, say, yes, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, that was in the Old Testament, but now Jesus is love, you know, and uh, he accepts people as they are. But when you point out to them, that the people come to have their sins forgiven, but then Jesus said, go and sin no more. So he's telling them, don't do that sin what you were doing, you know, and or give it up. But they say that that's the way they are, but Jesus accepts them no matter how they are. And I said, Jesus, come to took your, take your sins, but now he said, like the the lady who got caught in adultery, they all left and he said to her, where are your accusers? And she said, they're gone. And he said, I don't accuse you at all either. Sin no more. So you explain this to them, but they say that... Uh, that's, uh, Bernie, you're making some good points here, and uh, I think you're really pursuing a line here. Human sexuality is very powerful, isn't it? And uh, people who have a particular uh, view of sexuality or their own experience of that uh, find it very difficult if someone wants to tell them that their view of sexuality is not right and not true. Uh, let's get a thought or two from David Old uh, for Bernie and uh, his thoughts. Sure. Hi. Morning, Bernie. Thanks for um, thanks for uh, waiting on so long. Bernie, you're absolutely right. And the whole God is love uh, argument is one that we, we get heard a lot. So well, we hear God is love. And if two people love one another, um, then then what's wrong with that? I think uh, what you've got to do is, is, first of all, if you're having that conversation with someone, the first thing I always do is I say, do you actually want to have the conversation? Uh, uh, shall we actually talk about it? Um, because we can, but or are you just giving me a line? And if they go, yeah, let's talk about it. I say, well, look, here's the thing. I don't think you actually believe what you say. So I actually don't think you believe um, that just because two people love each other, that's okay. So I don't think you believe that's okay about adultery. I don't think you believe it's okay about um, some other, and you can give them some other examples of, of relationships that, that, that would be beyond the pale. Uh, and so having, if they can concede that, I want to go, so what we actually need to do is to work out what are right and what are good loves. And in that, I'm going to listen to the Lord uh, Jesus Christ. So I'm not just going to have an ambiguous statement, God is love. I want to go, well, what does that love look like? And how does Jesus show me the good way uh, to live? Because I'm going to assume that he knows what's best what's best for me. But look, at that point, I don't. I think what we're often doing is, is we want to win the whole argument in one conversation. It's not going to happen that way. More often than not, we just need to put a little pebble in the shoe. So even if you just get someone to go, actually, yeah, I don't believe that all loves are okay, that's one step in the conversation. 
Bernie from Perth, thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. You can also respond to today's 2020 Facebook question, asking today, what wisdom would you offer if your church leaders can't agree on Jesus' teaching around male-female marriage and human sexuality? Uh, Let me just reflect a a thought or two, and I'll get your impressions, uh, just brief ones, uh, David. Alex says... I would advise them to get back to studying their Bible instead of studying the social flavor of the month they have to serve up each Sunday to satisfy the masses. If a preacher is not Bible-focused, I won't be focused on them. Uh, attitudes of congregation towards their minister, who may be uh, on, a, on a tangent here. Thoughts here, David, for Alex? Sure. So um, uh, in general about ministers like that, yes, uh, always good, of course, to understand what's going on in our culture and to um, and to uh, work out what the pressures are for the people around us. Bad mistake, of course, just to assume that just because people want something um, uh, that that's good for them. So the Apostle Paul, of course, says you know, to Timothy, people will want, you know, to scratch their itching ears. Uh, so there's a danger isn't there, uh, that we want to be popular. And so we'll tell people what we think they want to hear. Um, when it comes to actually uh, your own church family, I think it's very, very important to realize that um, churches get changed from the pulpit and not the pew. So, so the teaching is, very, is, is a very powerful position to, to be preaching, and, and you do influence a lot of people. And very rarely will you change a church from the pew itself. Uh, and what I see more often than not is, is faithful Christians getting frustrated and more frustrated and more frustrated because um, they can't change, uh, can't change anything. In that case, I would be going, yeah, you need to leave and find a, a church where the pastor is feeding you uh, faithfully. Okay, well, uh, Ian responded to the question on Facebook. He says, if my Mm. church leaders can't work out this simple teaching of Jesus, they are stupid and need to be sacked. Uh, That's not always quite so easy either, but uh, that's a pretty uh, upfront, uh, bold thing for Ian to say. What are your thoughts here, David? I would put it, in a, uh, thanks Ian, uh, it's quite, I wouldn't quite put it that way. There's often some very, very, very clever people uh, who can find all sorts of clever reasons to try and explain away what the Bible says. I put it a different way. I, I use the word integrity. If you don't have the integrity to keep the promises you made upon ordination or, or whatever your, your denomination's process is, and, and there'll be an official, often an official denominational position on these sorts of things. If you don't have the integrity uh, then that's shocking. But what you ought to do, if you recognize you can no longer uphold your denomination's position on something, then, uh, then you need to resign. So, for example, I could never be... Uh, I love my Baptist and my Reformed Baptist friends. I could never be a Baptist minister because I hold a different position on that question of baptism. Uh, it, I would have a, it would be terrible integrity of me to be a Baptist minister, but think that it is right and proper to to baptize the children of, of, of believers. In the same way, if you can't uphold your promises, you've got to resign. And that's the problem I think we're really facing, a lack of integrity by many of our leaders who take the check every month, but then actually don't uphold their promises. And for the congregation person, the person in the pews, the member of a church, uh, this question of stay or go, uh, because oftentimes we like to think denominationally that there are some who are in our churches who are rusted on and will stay through thick and thin. Uh, This question of stay or go, depending on what your leader is teaching, what are your thoughts here? 
Well, it's really hard, isn't it? Because more than likely, you've been around in the church far, far longer than the minister who's coming in and now is spouting nonsense from the pulpit. Uh, so that's really, really hard to go. And there's kind of this temptation to want to, to wait them out. But um, honestly, uh, Neil, I'm not sure I've ever seen that work well. I think what it tends to do is breed resentment and ungodly behavior in those who are, who are waiting around. Uh, I think instead it's important for us to, to realize that, again, we're not going to change things from the pews. And if there aren't enough people around us who can see what's going on and are prepared to act and act in, in godly but clear ways, then, yeah, you, you've got to go. And, and at that point, um, I want to gently say, what is more precious to you? Uh, the pew that you've sat in for 30 years, the plaque on the wall that your mother put up there to commemorate your father, or loyalty to the Lord Jesus Christ and looking after your own soul. Uh, and so there are some hard choices sometimes for people to make, but um, we've got to prize Jesus and faithfulness to him, I think. Uh, there is a movement that has developed within a movement in one of our mm. denominations, that's the Uniting Church of Australia, where they have yep. a movement within called the Confessing Congregations. Yes. Uh, yes. And there is a sense here in which are we likely to see, do you think, some, uh, some uh, ways of changing the way a denomination looks with those who will hold to uh, those biblical foundations and those who are off on a more liberal tangent? Well, my read of the Uniting Church, and I could have this wrong because I don't know it obviously as well as my own denomination, my read is that those guys are wonderful, faithful men and women, but really not enough of them to affect change. So to them, I would say, stand firm, uh, uh, do your thing, be faithful, but please be realistic about what's going on around you. And also, I think there always, always comes a point when the denomination's official position on something changes, I think there always comes a point where you go, I can no longer be part of this. So that's for them to decide. In the Anglican Church, I think our position in Australia is a bit stronger. Uh, and we're gently confident that the General Synod coming up, we actually will be able to hold the line uh, and, and, and hold it well. Uh, but we'll see. Catherine responded to our Facebook question today. She says, I would advise them that they answer to God. I'm actually uh, very angry that this is even up for debate. I almost yeah. certainly would leave that congregation. I would feel very betrayed that they would think that anything other than male plus female equals marriage. Uh, I mean, uh, what are your thoughts here for Catherine? Sure. So uh, a couple of things. Um, yes, of course, we ought to be angry. It is pretty appalling when um, uh, teachers teach teach really dangerous falsehood. James, for example, says that, you know, not everyone should be a teacher because you'll be uh, judged more fiercely. But another bit of me wants to go, um, we need to temper the anger uh, as well somewhere. Often we're angry because we can't possibly conceive that something like this could happen. But what we learn from the Bible is that false teaching has existed from the very, very beginning. So sometimes we're surprised, and we ought not to be. You know, Jesus said, watch out for these wolves. Uh, and he wouldn't have said that if they didn't exist already. Uh, a lot of Paul's letters are directed towards dealing with false teaching in the church. And so we know that these things exist. Let's not be surprised by them, uh, uh, let's, but let's respond um, appropriately. I wonder if we might just dwell for a moment on what it is to be angry. If you are a person who is a member of a church, and we're talking about all of the denominations here, let's not divorce any of the denominations from the real issues that every one of them is going 
to be facing over these coming times. There's a yeah. right and a wrong way to be angry. How do you suggest that people actually make a level of protest? I mean, not a violent riot, uh, but how do, you, how do you be angry about this and take appropriate ways to enter into a conversation? Uh, so um, I think uh, just saying, can I talk to you about this? So if it's, if it's in your local church, talk to the minister. I think on the first instance, rather than going in just hammer and tongs, all guns blazing, just go, can you help me understand why you've taken the position that I think I'm hearing you take? So do you see how I'm phrasing that? Um, I think I'm hearing you take this position, but that might not be quite right. So just explain what your position on this is and help me understand how you've got there. And then maybe just the chance to answer, ask one or two questions. Well, if that's true, what do you make of this? And, you know, here's a Bible thing. And I think your first conversation is to be just trying to work out what the lay of the land is. Um, denominationally wide I think the most powerful um, uh, tool we have is money so refusing to send money to to support ministries that actually aren't gospel centred and we I think have been far too slow to use that tool Um, if you have squatters in the house who are squatting in your house and using up all your resources why would you keep the utilities flowing why not just cut off the electricity, cut off the gas, cut off the water, uh, and and then see how much they how they like it. Uh, typically, in a lot of our churches, the, these liberal theologies are built um, around uh, dying churches, and they're getting they're getting their support from somewhere else. I think as conservatives, we have to be prepared and the right moment to be a bit more courageous uh, with the money uh, and, and and cut it off. But then I think honestly. Just realize what you can and can't do. Uh, I just slowly come to the conclusion regularly that there's always a moment where you have to walk away and just go, I cannot be associated with this. I have to go. Yeah. I think there'll be some shock in listeners today when they hear a minister of the gospel saying, refuse to give money. And uh, sure. because when we do give our money, and this is an important aspect I suspect to bring out, we align ourselves mm. with the values of the preaching and of the position that our church is taking. So if we are aligning yeah. ourselves with what we are saying today is false teaching, uh, then we're actually we're actually a part of the whole problem, aren't we? So so this idea of where we put our money becomes very important, David. Yeah, absolutely. And because Christians ought to be generous, right? So, you know, God loves a cheerful giver. We ought to give because of the gospel, and we ought to give like it's the gospel. That is really important. It, it's, it's the most important thing we can give our money towards. Uh, that also means that we, we recognize that when a ministry is built around something that's not the gospel, that actually to give our money to that is to give to something anti-gospel. And we want to be really, again, really, really careful about that. And Neil, it's really easy for me just to come on your radio show and just say these things quickly and, uh, and like that. But these are things that people need to sit down and think about uh, what they're doing. It's not just individuals, maybe churches within denominations need to think about where their money is flowing and, and, and how they're doing and, and maybe think about setting up trusts so they can divert giving to funds that aren't controlled by their by their denomination and things like that. There, there are there are many things that can be done to signal that you people no longer want to support something. You mentioned that you've got an annual synod coming up, and uh, this will yep. be up for debate. And uh, each of the church denominations will have their own ways of 
grappling with these sorts of issues. Some are a little bit more democratic than others, and perhaps those yeah. ones that are being more democratic, they're the ones who've got the biggest problem right now. But, but for people who would be representing their church at a synod gathering, uh, is there a way that they ought to be preparing in a special way for a battle like this? Yes, um, prepare is the word. Look at what's on the order paper. Think it through. Chat to the people that you know who understand these things. Think about the implications of what's there. Um, And think carefully as well on the floor of the debate what the most helpful contribution is. Uh, Get together with others who are working these things out. Scheme and plan because you can be sure the other side are doing exactly that. Uh, But most of all, uh, be faithful. Be faithful in what you say. Be faithful in, 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 in how you say it. And then I want to say, trust God that he knows what he's doing. Uh, there are times when he prunes his church, and there are times when the church flourishes. Our job is to be faithful, and we'll leave God to, uh, as sovereign over what he does uh, through the different denominations that, 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 that exist. The question of what's at stake here, because when there mm-hmm. is this sort of internal distraction, the distraction is from what we might all consider to be a great commission that uh, we're all called to. And so if we're distracted and all of our energy, all of our time, all of our finance is caught up with, uh, with you know, just fighting a battle, uh, we're actually distracted. So what are your thoughts here for the idea of trying not to become embroiled in something that could be bogged down for years uh, so that you can keep your focus on what uh, the real great commission call is? Yeah, I think that's I think that's really helpful, isn't it? And that's what, sometimes why we actually have to walk away earlier. I have a very good friend in in the United States, in um, Central New York. Uh, he was an Episcopalian minister, and uh, his his diocese went off the deep end on these things, as many dioceses did. And and his church fought them in the courts for their building, and it was all messy. And the diocese, quite frankly, was very underhand in the way they went about it. Uh, they eventually lost court case, uh, and they were turfed out of their buildings. Uh, now, God has been very good to them. They've got far better facilities now, and their church has exponentially grown in size. But that moment where it was over and they stopped fighting was such a relief to them that they could get on with gospel work. And, and God has, um, that's the Church of the Good Shepherd in Binghampton uh, under Matt Kennedy, that God has blessed uh, that ministry greatly, uh, I think because they, they moved on. Uh, and got on with gospel work. And sometimes, just sometimes, Neil, uh, you have to leave the body you're in to get on with gospel work. And if you're staying and you go through the argument, uh, you've got to be able to come out of it on the other side uh, with forgiveness and uh, the idea of a resumption of unity. And if that can't happen, uh, then you really have this idea of a church split that is inevitable. So uh, the the challenge there of exercising these other virtuous uh, qualities that the Christian has, of being able to forgive, uh, it's an important part of engaging in an argument like this. Absolutely, whether whether there's a split or not. I'm an Anglican, and uh, the great Anglican of the past, uh, Thomas Cranmer, the first Protestant Archbishop of Canterbury, uh, wrote specifically on this on this issue. Of course, he ended up being executed uh, under Queen Mary for um, for faithfulness to to the gospel. But he was very big on this. He said, "Look, we've got to love our enemies in this. The manner in which we uh, both prosecute them when we're in charge, but also in which we respond when we're being persecuted." Uh, is is vitally important, and so he went to his death uh, um, with an attitude of forgiveness. No less clear on the issues, no less clear on the issues, but um, forgiveness 
uh, was 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 core to him. We can't claim to be gospel people if that gospel won't shape everything that we do around this. Well, we have run out of time to unpack some more in this conversation. Uh, David, you are one of the speakers, and there is a wonderful list of speakers at this year's Church and State Summit. It's on in just one week from now. I'll be encouraging listeners to either go to the Church and State Summit if they're in southeast Queensland or northern New South Wales within driving distance, uh, or being able to join in this Church and State Summit online. Uh, you're preparing to deliver a message around this this sort of topic we're talking about today, no doubt there'll be some whetted appetites around the sorts of things that you might be sharing. How important do you think it is for people to be involved in these sorts of connections, church and state, to be able to navigate a way forward? Well, absolutely. We, we, we all need to be getting together and thinking about these things. Uh, the summit looks more generally at the relationship between church and state. And you might think of this uh, splash that my topic has less to do with that. But actually, uh, a united church being clear on the main issues is then clear on how it engages uh, with the world around us and increasingly with the government. I mean, uh, one of the big issues coming out of uh, Victoria right now is the interaction between church and state over this issue of of, of um, whether uh, we can have gay conversion and what that means and, and, and so on. It's another hot topic. And so clarity for us and faithfulness for us and us being clear on where we're at is going to help in those, in those interactions. I know that there'll be listeners who are going to want to read some of the things you write about this issue. And so I do want to give your website, davidold.net. Now, old is spelt O-U-L-D, davidold.net. And uh, you've got some wonderful articles there. And uh, I encourage listeners to even read the comments and the argument as those things develop. And uh, you'll get a great rounded view of uh, both sides, but you'll hear the wisdom of David Old when you go to davidold.net. The other website, of course, is the Church and State Summit website. It's on next Friday, 26th and Saturday, the 27th of February. You're able to register online, churchandstate.com.au, churchandstate.com.au. David Old, thank you so much for taking some time to share your thoughts and your heart with us today on 2020. Thanks, Neil. It's been wonderful uh, being here. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.